thanks for listening. Learn more about our church and support by giving to the Mission of the Oaks at www.theoakscommunitychurch.org. Today's texts come from Proverbs 12 and 27, along with Psalm 90. Proverbs 12, verse 28. In the path of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. Proverbs 27, verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) We're going to start us all off with a little feedback. Good morning. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks, Matt. Uh, Great things going on uh, in this place. Excuse me. My name is Barry. I am one of the pastors here, and uh, it is an honor. It's a privilege uh, to be able to share with you this morning. Uh, I'm not worthy to stand here. It's only by the grace of God that the gap of worthiness is able to be covered. I have loved our series. I hope you have too And as we go through Proverbs. And I love the tagline, recovering our humanity in, you know, and then fill in the blank of what each subject has been. And, and the whole idea of recovering our humanity is it's, it's an acknowledgement that we are not God. We are finite. God is infinite, if I might put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. There is wisdom in knowing the difference between our finiteness and God's infiniteness. And we've looked at subjects such as you know, recovering our humanity in work, in mercy, in money, in friendship. Today, it's recovering our humanity in death. <laughs> Real light subject. Something just to head right on into Thanksgiving with, you know. And, um, <laughs> It's kind of funny, too. You think about preaching a sermon on death. You know, you, f- you hope it's not prophetic. Well, you know, his last sermon was on death, you know. Just kind of preach on life next week just to, you know. Um, I feel like God's knitting something together here this morning. The worship songs we've already sung, um, they're basically the sermon. If we can ever, we might shoot out the playlist uh, to give you an opportunity to keep listening to that this week. Um, I feel like God's knitting something together. I feel like I'm not worthy to help be the knitter. Uh, would you just pray with me as we just allow God's Spirit uh, to do its work? Father, thank you so much uh, for how you work and move in our lives. Thank you for uh, your tender mercies, your tender touches. I thank you for this body of believers. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. You are our rock and our redeemer, and may everything we do and say reflect that. God, this is your subject. This is your deal. I just want to get out of the way. Let your spirit do the work. Thank you for that. Amen. Um, I've been hearing a commercial lately. Maybe you've been hearing it too. It's from an insurance company. And they asked the question, do you have a life insurance policy that you don't need? And I thought, who has that? You know? (laughs) You know, I thought, you know, think, okay, you wake up somewhere, you know, I'm feeling kind of immortal today. I'm going to cancel all my life insurance policies. Hun, you okay with that? (laughs) Hun would be like, "Uh, you are very mortal. You keep those life insurance policies. It's just kind of funny. I mean, there's some, there's insurance nerd stuff about that you can, you can learn about. But, you know, if there's ever a subject that you would think would keep us reminded of our finiteness, 
it is the subject of death. And yet, I feel like we try to cheat that one too. You know, a couple weeks ago, Brad spoke about the, the tech entrepreneur, Brian Johnson, who's basically on a mission to not die. He's devoted every molecular system in his body to scientists and doctors to try to, to feed everything that he does to make it lead, lead toward life. He's got a little credo, any act that accelerates, engineer, uh, that accelerates aging, like eating a cookie or getting less than eight hours of sleep is an act of violence. Man, not eating a cookie is like an act of death right there in itself. The, um, the global anti-aging market size reached $67.2 billion in 2022. They're expecting it to grow 6% every year. Here's the thing. No matter our efforts, we will die. We will. I want to ask you a question. Can you remember the first time that you were first really aware of death? And maybe more than just aware, the first time that you were aware of the, the gravity of death or the permanence of death. I have a specific moment, and it was actually with my, my grandma Schaefer, my dad's mom. I was eight years old when she passed away. And, and actually, I remember the, the visitation was of an evening, and all us cousin guys were out in the, we ended up out in the parking lot shooting basketball, playing basketball in the parking lot of the funeral home. I remember someone, a staff person from the funeral home actually coming out to us and saying, uh, guys, you need to take this a little more seriously. That was a funny thing for me. So we all walked back inside, sweaty, ties are off or loose. And, and, uh, but then the next day at the funeral, I'm sitting beside my dad in the pew of the church, Maiden Lane Church of God, Springfield, Ohio, and I see tears coming down his cheeks. And it's at that moment I think, this is big. This must be big. There's something to this. And I think that was my first awareness of the gravity of it, of the permanence of it. But then as we go along, you know, we all also really develop our own diverse approaches to death and philosophies of death. And my work as a, as a hospice chaplain, which is a part-time position, um, I'm realizing that there's a spectrum that we all might find ourselves on um, with regard to our attitude towards death. I had one day in particular where in the morning I was with a patient who had expressed to our staff and to the staff of the facility his fear of dying. And so I met with him to, to talk about that and to pray about that. The next afternoon, I'm meeting another patient for the first time, and she says to me, why am I still here? <laughs> why does God still keep me here? to entirely different ends of the spectrum, and I think there are infinite points within that spectrum that we might all find ourselves on. And then we have today's text, two from Proverbs and a little kicker from Psalms. We're, we're grabbing from that one as well. And you know, when you first look at these texts, at least this was the way it was for me, when I first look at these texts, initially, there, there was something that intrigued me, because I'm like, do they, act, do they contradict each other? Because Psalm 90 tells us to number our days. But then Proverbs 12 says, in the path of righteousness is life. And in it is the pathway, in that pathway there is no death. So do we number our days and live like there might not be a tomorrow, as the other Proverbs verse says? Or do we follow the path of righteousness where there is no death? If that's true, why do I need to number my days? Well... As in all of Scripture, they don't contradict each other. 
they actually build different parts of a beautiful picture. And if you read them side by side, over and over, continuing to make the request to God to teach me to number my days, and to also make the request to God to teach me what it means to, keep the, to be on the path of righteousness that leads to life, if you keep doing that, they begin to meld together. <clears throat> They're a little bit like, I think it's Spectrum, it's a commercial that's talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, video, cable, you can watch two things at once, you know, and in the course of the commercial, those two things become one thing. That's why you get Serena Williams playing tennis in a mall or something like that, you know. I'm referencing commercials a lot today. Yeah, I, I don't watch that much TV, but I guess, I guess what I do, they've got pertinent commercials. Um, so they, too, they come one, well, that's what happens with these two verses. And, and the Proverbs verse about boasting about tomorrow. As we bring them together and keep making requests, God, teach me to number my days that I might have a heart of wisdom. God, what does it mean that in the path of righteousness there is life? As we bring all that together, each time we bring those requests into our hearts, we, get a, a la- we go a layer deeper, a layer deeper, a layer deeper, until eventually we realize, and this is going to sound like a Sunday school answer, it all comes down to Jesus. Everything comes down to Jesus. I want to take you on a little bit of a journey this morning, if you don't mind. And it's a journey of my asking God to teach me to not only number my days and to understand the finiteness of my existence, but also to teach me what he wants me to learn about being in the path of righteousness where there is life. But I want to start this journey by sharing a story about a period of life when I literally did number my days. And as I think back in light of these Proverbs verses in Psalm 90, it really was an exercise in how not to number your days. I had a stretch of life, and this is actually a period of time when I was in widowhood. And for those who don't know, I I, um, lost my late wife Dana to cancer. I was at the age of 48. When I was in the epicenter of grief, um, I made a visit to the cemetery and I'm standing at the gravesite, and, and of course, when I bought that plot, when I bought Dana's plot, I also bought mine. You just do that, and, and um, so I'm there paying my respects and having my thoughts, and then I look at the plot that's mine. And I began to process a little bit, you know, and I, I had this thought, um, I'm, actuarial tables say I got about 30 to 40 years, you know? And I can, I can gut it out for 30 to 40 years. I can enjoy sunrises. I can enjoy sunsets. It'll be fine. I, I've had great love. I, I can celebrate other people's great loves. You know, I can still go to weddings. I've, I've had great Christmases. I can, I can, you know, encourage other people to enjoy their Christmases. I, I don't need to have other great Christmases. And then I looked at that little plot that is mine, and I looked at the grass, and I'm like, you know, someday I'm going to, you know, depending on how things play out, I'm going to be under that grass. And and, And all of a sudden, I felt myself saying, I can't wait. And at the time, I thought, you know, this is, this is probably a healthy thing. This is how we should live. You know, we can't wait to, to die. But you know what I was doing was, I was escaping. I was figuring out how to cope. And what I was really doing was, I was making the journey about me to complete disregard of Jesus. Because if you're numbering their, your days that way, you're not giving any room for Jesus to do his work. And as I've reflected on that stretch of life, 
over these past weeks in light of these Proverbs verses and the Psalm verse and in prep for this morning. I thought, well, in order to be wise about death, we also need to be wise about life. Our theology of life determines our theology of death. And of course, this takes us back to the Garden of Eden. I appreciate the verses that Katie has already read for us and introduced to us. And I want to look at some of the detail of Genesis 2 and 3 to help us perhaps develop a little bit of a theology of life and a theology of death. And in Genesis 2, it says this, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So picture this for a second. There were many trees, but there are two trees that were highlighted. One, the tree of life, and then you would expect, and then the opposite of the tree of life, which you would expect to be the tree of death. But the opposite of the tree of life in Genesis 2 is described as the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I really think and believe, and this is not too far-fetched, that this is giving us a definition of death. Genesis 2 is giving us a definition of death, and it is the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve, they already knew good. Everything was good. Where they lived, where they existed, the way they existed with God, everything was good. They did not have a knowledge of good and evil. They only had the knowledge of good. And then Adam is given an instruction. And God explains these two trees to Adam. And the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil... You shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then a little bit later, the serpent gets the woman off alone, and the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And we, of course, know all too well what happened. They eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, they did not immediately physically die, but death immediately entered creation. Think for a second about the deaths right off the bat. The first thing they were aware of, that they're naked. They're aware of their nakedness and their shame. Boom, the death of innocence. The second awareness, I think, was guilt. They were trying to stay away from God. Boom, the death of intimate fellowship with God. And then we had the death of honesty as a couple. The death of marital bliss. And then we introduce blame shifting and accusing. And we begin to see all the things that the knowledge of evil reveals. And so now they have a knowledge of evil. And then comes the worst death of all. Later on in Genesis 3, then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. 
Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So not only are they kicked out of the garden, they are guarded from taking part of the tree of life. They are prohibited from that. That is death. Now I believe that it's quite possible that before the bite of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that Adam and Eve still may have experienced a physical death. There's, there's nothing in Scripture that indicates that Adam and Eve were immortal. In fact, Paul mentions in 1st or 2nd Timothy that Jesus is the only one who is immortal. But because everything was good, because there was no knowledge of evil, I believe the physical was almost interchangeable with the eternal. The passing from the physical realm to the eternal realm was seen as good. It's good. And you almost wonder if they even hardly noticed that that physical death happened. It's like stepping out of a boot stuck in the mud. You know, you just kind of keep on walking. And it's like in doing this, you get a sense of the physical death and the eternal death that we all kind of begin to experience. But after the disobedience that introduced us to the knowledge of good and evil, death became very noticeable. We notice it. We feel it. And I believe it became the death that God spoke of as a consequence when he said to Adam, on that day you will surely die. In one sense, Satan was right. You won't surely die. Well, he didn't die right there on the spot. But he was certainly doomed to death. And Adam was doomed to a death that brings fear, pain, hurt, loss. It's the death that we now experience ourselves and with our loved ones. And it's a death that creates the situation for us to be wise in numbering our days. We now have a very visible finiteness. We have planned obsolescence. <laughs> planned obsolescence is not only built into the batteries of our smartphones to make us buy more batteries, but it is now part, it's now part of our existence. It's our humanity. That's what limits our days. And then it also creates small deaths that we navigate every day that brings anxieties, hurts, pains, regrets, all those extra deaths that they experienced in Genesis 3, the, the, the death of innocence, and all the things that began to be introduced into existence at that time. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. He has been on a mission to restore our path to life from that day forward. Proverbs 12 gives us a little clue. In the path of righteousness is life. And in its pathway, there is no death. Focus for a second on that word righteousness. That's kind of a magical word in the Old Testament. Obviously, with Israel, their way to righteousness was through the Torah, the law. You know, and all that got started with Abraham. God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to make you a blessing to all nations. Abraham becomes father of the big nation. Then we have Israel, and then God comes to Israel, and he reveals himself to him through the law. And it's through the law, through the obedience of sacrifices and feasts and offerings, that they become, they establish, that God's people establish their right relationship with him. It's not perfect, 
but it shows us some many other things. And it's also a foretaste of glory divine. And then we get to John 1, and where John writes, in him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal, finish it with me, eternal John 10, Jesus is saying these words. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 20, now Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples. This is John wrapping up his book. And he's like, there's way more that happened than I have room or I've got writer's cramp. I can't, I got I to gotta wrap this thing up. So he gives this little disclaimer. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. And then this carries right on into the New Testament, the, the letters from Paul, 1 Corinthians 15. Man, that could be this, the sermon right here, but first let me read just a segment out of 1 Corinthians 15. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. That's us. It has raised a spiritual body that will be us. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, all the death that we've experienced from Genesis 3, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The sting of knowledge of good and evil is sin. And then finally, words from Jesus. Words that came from Jesus from his perch at the right hand of God. Revelation 2, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, to the one who overcomes, to the one who is victorious. I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. We get to get back to the tree. The tree that at one time we were prohibited from partaking of. And I don't quite get the theology of that, but that's just how it was set up. We've been on this journey, and God's been on this journey with us, coming down to us, giving us opportunity over and over again to bring life out of death. And there will be a moment there will be a moment when we will eat of the tree of life and we will be fully restored into what God has always had in place in the first place. And all the days, our, you know, our lives are on a journey to the tree of life. And all the days that are numbered for us are days leading to the day when we will eat of the tree of life. The moment we accept what Jesus did on the cross to conquer sin and death, that is the moment that our eternity begins. Our lives happen between the trees. All of existence happens between the trees, between the knowledge of good and evil when this knowledge was brought into creation and the tree of life that we will eventually one day get to partake of. All of existence is between those trees. 
And in us, with us, we're on this linear existence. We're on a timeline. Existence itself is on a timeline. So while we're on this linear existence, God's, now let's not get too geometric here, but God's in this spherical existence. You know? He exists in this sphere because he exists simultaneously in the past, in the present, and the future. We exist linearly. We are bound to time. And so while God's around us, under us, above us, and most importantly in us, we are moving along this line, and while we're moving along this line, God is using all things around us to restore life, to bring life out of death. And while we're on this timeline, Jesus and God, is, they're walking with us as we navigate all the death and the loss that came from disobedience in Genesis 3. Every sucky situation that we face Every instance in this way, every instance that creates anxiety, disappointment, hurt, fear, regret, shame, all these things are direct descendants of the losses in Genesis 3. But thanks be to God, every one of those sucky situations is an opportunity for God to bring life out of death. And I don't mean just our own personal death that we experience or the death of our loved ones that we experience, but I mean the deaths that we have to navigate Day in, day out. Just to use an example, and you know, Matt's used the phrase that, you know, when when Adam received his curse about having to work the land, the ground fought is now going to fight back. There's a point when cultivating the garden was fun; it was good. Now it's going to be work. Well, in every situation that we face, that's why work today probably has so many dynamics. <laughs> Whether you're in a C-suite or, or working on an assembly line, there are dynamics that we all have to face. But that's just an example. We face so many consequences every day from having the knowledge of good and evil. But there's one more thing I want to add to this layer before we kind of specifically apply some things. In Revelation 1.8, again, this is Jesus talking. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. Revelation 21.6, and Jesus said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. Jesus bookends this whole thing. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He was there in the beginning when God said, let us make man in our own image. He is there at the end. He, he bookends all of this and every, all of our existence comes with the knowledge that Jesus is at the beginning and the end. So as I live between the trees... As I take comfort in Jesus being the first and the last, I think there are three deaths that I'm to be wise about. I want to share these from my perspective. I think you'll easily be able to apply them to your perspective. Three deaths. I need to be wise about my own death. I need to be wise about your death. And I need to be wise about all those deaths that we all experience every day from this fallen world. First, my death. How can we number our days and still not freak out? You know, our physical death really is the ultimate opportunity to bring life out of death. And the reason that is true is because Jesus brought life out of death. And I really believe, this, is a, this might be a little bit out there, but I really believe that it's healthy and, and accurate to picture our death 
as perhaps the type of death that Adam and Eve may have experienced before they had the knowledge of good and evil. You know, because for them, it was like, as I mentioned, slipping out of a boot as you move on from one thing to the next. Because we are so aware of the evil around us, because we have such a knowledge of good and evil, I think it's almost impossible for us to see it that way. But the thing is, I think that's the reality of our death. The veil between here and there, between this side and the other side, is way thinner than we think. We find the slit easier than we think we do in that veil. But again, because we have the knowledge of good and evil, it's hard to see that. But this is something that I've concluded, not only in my own journey as a, as a caregiver, but also in my work as a hospice chaplain. You know, I believe there's a moment for patients, for, for people, for folks who are nearing death, there's a moment when they become more aware of the other side than this side. I had an interesting moment as a caregiver with my late wife, Dana. There was a point when she was in her hospital bed and we're in the, in the house and all of a sudden I, she says, oh, there's the FedEx man. I'm like, oh man, she's hallucinating. You know, <laughs> and the decline has gotten worse. And then I look at the picture window and there's the FedEx man. <laughs> he's, he's at the picture, picture window waving, you know, and, and we got to know him well. And as he's bringing us medications and he's asking how things are going, and I mean, it's just a great thing. So you're like, okay, uh, not hallucinating. Well, the next day she said, oh, there's Jesus. And then I'm like, well, what do you see? What, what, are you, can you, what are you seeing? And she just clammed up. Didn't say a thing. I didn't get any more explanation from that. A friend of mine later told me, you know, what was going on is she was protecting you. Because if she's to tell you what she's seeing, she's telling you that she's more aware of the other side than she is of this side. She's telling you that time is nigh. Protection there. That happens so often. And in my work, I'm beginning to see that more and more. We become more aware of the other side than our than our current side. The veil is thinner than we think. We're going to see Jesus. We're going to see Jesus and he's going to grab a hold of us and he's going to just say, let's, let's go for a walk. He's going to say, first I want to show you the place I'm, well, he's going to say, I want to show you the place I'm preparing for you, but before we get there, there's an orchard I want to stop by and have you take of a bite of a tree. And he takes me to this tree and I take this bite and I will then see fully what I've only seen dimly. I will then see everything as it is of what I only now see in part. Those are words from 1 Corinthians 13 that Paul penned for us when he's talking about the great love chapter. And that's when I will truly be able to say, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? The sting has been taken out because of what Jesus has done. That's one way that I can be wise about my own death. And as each of us think about our own personal deaths, I think it's helpful and comforting to think of it that way. Another death that I am to be wise about is your death, which in essence is the death of those people around us. Truly, your death is going to hurt me way more than it's going to hurt you. <laughs> you get to experience all that I just talked about. But the thing is, we are all hardwired for intimacy. You know, we are hardwired to love one another. We're hardwired to nurture. We're hardwired to be loved. We're hardwired to be nurtured. And so, so when someone close to us passes from this side to the other side, it hurts. 
We mourn. We were discussing this in the podcast, and Matt brought up the, the verse about Ecclesiastes 7 2. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. It hurts. It hurts when we lose someone. And, but there, there are things, again, this is another time when God is pursuing us and on mission to bring life out of death. One of the best moments for me in Jesus' ministry that shows this is his interaction with his dear friends in John 11. And it's that scene where, where Lazarus has passed away. We're all real familiar with the scene. You know, and, and, and in that scene, we get that famous verse, John eleven thirty five, 35, that two-word verse, Jesus wept. You know, that's your emergency backup verse. When you're on your way to Sunday school and you realize you forgot to memorize the scripture, you can always go to that one. So we're told Jesus cried. Well, here's the thing. There are a couple other times in that very same scene where we're also told that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit. So not only are we told that he wept, he deep, was deeply moved in spirit. And as he comes on this scene and he sees his dear friends navigating grief, he was a close family friend of Lazarus, Martha, and, and Mary. They were, Jesus was like the fourth that they would call when they needed a fourth. And they, they had that kind of interaction. And he's watching them cry. He's watching their friends cry. He's watching them all navigate the loss and the hurt that comes from the knowledge of good and evil. And what does he do? He's deeply moved in spirit. There's a, the Greeks had a phrase that they used to describe a snorting horse. That's the phrase that was used to describe Jesus as deeply moved in spirit. Picture that. Picture Jesus snort crying. <laughs> Picture him ugly crying with his friends because of what they're experiencing. Because here's the deal. Jesus knew what he was going to do. His grief was going to be taken care of. He knew he was going to be raising Lazarus from the dead. It broke his heart to watch his friends have to navigate the death and the knowledge of good and evil of this fallen world. And he cried with them. I had a moment in our worship this morning as we're also, as, as we, we read, I think um, Katie read out of Revelation 21. So in one hand, Jesus is crying with us. In the other hand, he is wiping the tears away of our loved ones who are with him. That's the picture of how this is. I'm comforted by the fact to know that Jesus is going to be, he snort cries with me and ugly cries with me as I navigate the death and the loss of people around me and close to me. And then thirdly, the death that I am to be wise about is the death that simply comes from living in this fallen world. With the disobedience in Genesis 3 came life in a world of anxiety, disease, oppression, personal failings, the work dynamics I mentioned. It's out of all of these situations where God wants to bring beauty from ashes, life out of death. In Ephesians 5, Paul writes, and he quotes from Isaiah, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. This, listen to the Psalm 90 in this. As walk as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In our daily struggles, 
God is bringing life out of death. He's redeeming the pain. He's redeeming the loss. He's redeeming the heartache. He's redeeming the regrets. The older I get, the bigger fan of redemption that I get. That's the journey that we are on with God. And as we seek to number our days, as we exist between the trees, the first tree that put us in this mess in the first place, and the second tree, the tree of life that we will get to at the end that's going to redeem everything as we navigate this, I think it's just helpful to know that and to, to keep praying and, and making that request for God to teach us to number our days with a heart of wisdom. And as we do that, as we continue to do that, something will happen to us. We'll begin to realize, know more and more, that it just comes down to Jesus. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. Everything that got us in these messes, Jesus will restore life out of those deaths. There's a song that we're going to sing as part of our, part of our communion time. Um, and it's something that's become special to me. Um, a dear friend of mine years ago was facing his own death. And he, um, he was a music producer in Nashville. He was like the first stop that contemporary Christian music people went to to make or break their career. He, he got Michael W. Smith going and and just great person, uh, and as he had some complications from diabetes, and as he was now in his final weeks, he began to make the rounds to people close to him of phone calls. And my late wife Dana was a person that he called. And, um, and he said, um, and they had a special conversation. And then he said, you know, there's a song that's come to be close to me, and it's actually a song that we've sung here. And she simply, give me Jesus. He had known the artist at that time, Fernando Ortega, who had done a recording that didn't help him produce it, but just knew it. He goes, Dana, I want to play you this song. And he played the song, which there's a phrase in there, and, and, and when I come to die, and when I come to die, give me Jesus. He said, Dana, that's what it comes down to. And he hung up the phone. Because that's what it comes down to. That's it. In a moment, we're going to partake of communion with each other. And you know, I don't think there's anything we do that is more pure Jesus than communion. We're going to have bread that was broken for us, and this represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. To bring the sacrifice for us to be able to have life. There'll be a cup of juice or wine, and you can see the J or the W that represents the blood of sacrifice that helps us bring life out of death. If you're a believer this morning, this is for you. Take this time to say to Jesus, Jesus, you are the Alpha and the Omega. I'm existing between the two trees. Um, I want you to bring life out of every situation of death in my life. If you're not a believer this morning, um, it doesn't make a lot of sense to come do this. We don't want to ask you to do something that might not be authentic. We think this should just be a great time just to pray and or maybe just reflect. And if you have questions, definitely seek out me or one of the pastors after. And I want all of us to know that during communion time, pastors are going to be in the prayer room just to, just to pray. Pray for anything that's sparked in your heart now, or just pray for something from this week that, 
that you would like some help with, some, some undergirding with. And we're going to sing that song as we, as we partake communion and, and just let your heart be ministered to uh, with regard to how God wants to use these words to touch you as you begin to think about your own finiteness and God's infiniteness. Would you just pray with me? Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your tender mercy. Lord, I thank you for these precious words. I thank you for the perspective of, uh, of our limited days as it relates to your unlimited days. Lord, every one of us, unless Jesus comes back first, every one of us is going to be facing that final day. I pray that you teach us what it means to number our days in a, in a way that brings wisdom. I pray that you teach us how we can be on the path of righteousness that leads to life. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this time and for these moments. Amen. Thanks for listening. Learn more about our church and support by giving to the Mission of the Oaks at www.theoakscommunitychurch.org.